Welcome to We're Talking. We have an opinion about everything, and it means absolutely nothing. Now, here are your hosts, the rocket surgeon and the brain scientist, but we're not sure who's who. Craig Malasa and Josh Jacno, they're talking. Welcome to We're Talking. Tonight, you're with Craig Malasa and Jay Walker. How are we doing today, Jay? doing wonderfully i'm very happy to report neither one of us drowned last night oh i tell you that that was the worst i had seen it even the flood a few years back my i never had that much water in my yard unbelievable yep so uh before we get started on baseball let's talk about y'all terrible tune choices today real quick um both of them were horrible don't get me wrong but sheena easton uh scottish singer and uh i know you guys couldn't figure out how that was a hit, or you were talking about how it wasn't a hit, how it became a hit, I guess. Well, you know, the, the reality is Sheena Easton had had a bunch of hit records before Sugar Walls, and um, so that helped to propel the fact that, you know, I mean, well, it, she it was, it was, she had had a bunch of hits already. Yeah, she had, she first hit the scene with Morning, Train, Morning which, Train, which was originally 9 to 5, but it was the same song by Dolly, a different song, but by the same name by Dolly Parton, so to differentiate that here in the united states they called it morning train uh it was also at the same time uh 1984 was the, the height of purple rain in princeton obviously who wrote the song that was prince that wrote sugar walls yeah, yeah. shocking I, that print wrote prince wrote something that was about sexuality or sex oh, imagine that i can't believe it they um and and of course we you know we coupled that with flash cadillac and the continental kids did you boogie with your baby that was kind of interesting. I had never heard that song. You never heard it? No. It was uh, it was a top thirty hit. Okay. Um, you know, in Flash Cadillac, that, that was a band that came out in the seventies, but they did a lot of retro fifties music. They were featured in American Graffiti and on Happy Days, and then okay. came out came out with this horrendous song. Uh pathetic. You know, back to Sheena Easton real quick. Sheena Easton actually had won a talent show before. It was uh, England. It's not, it wasn't England got ta talent, but it was before all the ones that started the shows on Fox and everything. Uh, and then, like I said, had the song "Morning Train," and then went on, and was actually the uh, uh, had the uh, James Bond thing for your eyes only. For your on. eyes only. And, and it she, was. She also did a hellacious duet with Kenny Rogers on "We've Got Tonight." Yes, I was going to bring that up as well. The the James Bond one though was the first time the singer had been actually featured when the when the movie started so that was the first and i, I remember uh paul cartney with live and let die was the first time a male singer had done uh the opening to james bond so that's right mccartney was asked to write the song and then he said i'll write the song but i've got to sing him they're like no we want it to be for a female singer and i, I think one of the greatest songs mccartney ever wrote in my opinion next to blackbird but i digress so Let's move on. I, I think, uh, you know, you talked, uh, we're, we're going to talk baseball here shortly, but let's go to softball real quick. Uh, I, I know you talked to Coach Glasgow last night, and because of the rain and everything, I didn't get to listen to the full interview. So talk a little bit about what Coach Glasgow said, uh, especially I know there are a lot of Cajuns fans, Cajun fans that don't like the fact that LSU was, uh, was the number seven national seed. But quite frankly, as I told Kevin Foote this morning, whether you're seven, eight, nine, or ten, I think it doesn't really matter, and I think it's a great opportunity for the girls there uh, to be playing there. Plus, there's the opportunity as the higher seven seed, 
that Florida State might have to come to Baton Rouge, uh, and if if the Cajuns won the game, uh, the the we would host it possibly in Baton. If we host it, it'll be in Baton Rouge. So, your thoughts on the on the seating and how well, Coach Glasgow presented you, it? You know, at at first glance, you're you're saying, okay, here's a team that's the number seven national seed that has 19 losses on the year. And I brought it up to to Coach Glasgow, and he said. They played the toughest schedule in America because because uh, they went out in non-conference and played great teams. And then, of course, just playing in the SEC, you're, you're playing great teams. And so despite the fact they've got a bunch of losses, uh, their RPI was in the top uh, top six, I think. And uh, so they're the number seven national seed. And, um, you know, I know that there were a lot of people uh, on social media complaining, and it wasn't, you know, people from like Lafayette, but complaining about why is LSU seated so high. But that's the reason. They they played the toughest schedule in America. Yeah, I, I was the same way. And then when, when that part I did hear Coach Glasgow say, and I was a little surprised at first, but when he explained it, I was going like, okay, the man's got a point. Uh, now, where I was a little surprised, though, I kind of, just because they were a Southland Conference team, uh, I, I at first, I didn't understand why um, McNeese was a four seed, basically, playing LSU first, which I think is actually a great benefit for the Cajuns as well, uh, not having to play McNeese first. But McNeese, I'm assuming, won the Southland Conference Tournament, so they, they were 26 and 26, so that all explains a lot of it to me. But, you know, McNeese is a dangerous team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think they're represented. Look, I think all four teams in that regional have something to hang their hat on. Um, you know, George Washington is going to be the Cajuns' first opponent. Now, traditionally, the champion in the Atlantic 10 has been a four seed. Okay. And here's George Washington as a three. They've only got nine losses on the year. Um, they're a very well-coached team. They won the regular season. They won the conference tournament after losing their first game. Had to come back, beat Dayton twice in the finals. Um, but the fact that the Atlantic 10 champion is a three seed, I think speaks pretty well to the ability of the Colonials. I agree. And I think for the Cajuns, they, uh, they've got to come out and make a statement early and punch them in the face and, 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 and keep them down on the mat it, using a boxing term terminology. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's going to be natural and, and it's always natural, I think, for our fans to totally look past the first round opponent. Cajuns better not do that. And I don't think they will. I think Jerry's going to get their attention. But I but I think this George Washington team's a pretty good team. Well, going back to McNeese real quick, if you look at their schedule, they started out with Alabama. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I don't think they were run ruled in any of the games, but they've also played uh, some other uh, SEC opponents. They've played a tough schedule. So I think they have the opportunity maybe to help the Cajuns out if they can knock out LSU out in that first game. And I think that would be a great benefit to the Cajuns. Well, I you either know, way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. You no, know, okay, because I think LSU is really good. Oh, I think they're really good too. I'm not putting money on the Magnese. I'm just saying they have the opportunity. <laughs> they, I think they, you know they're they're look. There are some four seeds in in this tournament that are really not good teams at all. Yeah. I don't think McNeese fits into that category. I you know I I think they're a pretty a pretty decent softball team, and um, you know they'll have they'll have a lot of motivation because they're playing LSU. So and so we'll see we'll see how that works out. 
Yeah, and, and the thing they have, I guess, going against them, out of all the games that they played against those higher higher opponents, the SEC opponents and everything, the LSU series, uh, the the two games they played at L against LSU were the only teams were the only games that they lost pretty bad. The other other teams they had played were were fairly close. So, uh, but yeah, we're looking at that. All right, now we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back after the break, and we're going to talk Cajun baseball. Uh, but good luck to the ladies and all the teams that are playing uh, around the around the country, and uh, we'll be back right after this short break. Thank you. Welcome back to We're Talking Today. Craig Malasa and Jay Walker. We just got done uh, talking a little Cajun softball. Let's move on to the baseball diamond. Um, before I ask you your thoughts on the weekend, I, th I thought, uh, I, I know everybody wasn't happy losing that first game on Saturday, but I think it was one of the better series that we played and what, against one of the better teams. Your thoughts? I think that the win in Game 3 was maybe the most gratifying win the Cajuns have had all year. Uh -huh. I, um, you know, if, if you look at how that game played out, I mean, first of all, you've split the first two games with, with Connor Cook taking a loss, and now you're going to go to Game 3. They fell behind early. I thought the Cajun bullpen was phenomenal. And the, something that they really haven't done a lot of this year is to go out and get clutch hits when they needed to have them. And, you know, they're down, they're down a run going into the eighth. Um, they get a couple of hit-by-pitches, and they actually took advantage of that and took the lead and then scored two more the next inning. I liked what I saw, especially when you consider the fact that by the time the rally started, Drake Osborne was out because he had been injured. So... I thought that they really showed me something coming back and winning game three. I was very impressed with that. Uh, I think you and I talked about it a little bit last night. You know, I, I felt good about a, a series earlier, but I agree with you. I think that that, that game on Sunday, uh, Saturday afternoon really showed something. Uh, I did not like the fact, as probably no, no Cajun fan should, that Drake Osborne went down. And my understanding that he was in pretty good pain that the people in the stands could hear him, you know, so which it, I don't want to get too graphic. That, well, that is something. And of course, it happened to him earlier in the year. Yep. And it's something that when it first happens is very painful. Now, they popped it right back in. Uh, but, you know, that his availability this weekend is all going to be about pain tolerance. Yep. Uh, and now. As Matt Diggs pointed out in the radio show last night, here's a guy who almost cut his leg off during the summer and never told anybody about it. And um, can you tell that story though? Because I, I miss that part. I, well, do I you don't have I don't have a whole lot to Did... say about it. It was a surfboard. Okay. And it and it happened to to cut his leg, and it was a very deep cut. Okay. And um, you know, I, I Drake and I have never talked about it, but my understanding was that was it was a pretty serious deal. Okay. And um, yeah. No, I, I, I was sitting with Chris Russo, you know, I told him that when I was probably 11 years old was the first time I dislocated my shoulder in a football game. And he he asked me, you know, and, and it happened just about every game, maybe twice a game. I would run off and slam my shoulder into the uh, to the stands to knock it back in. He goes, well, how painful was it? I said, honestly, I, I was a I was a five foot ten, hundred and ten pound kid. That had no muscle around me. I mean, Drake is is built like like a, a ball player. I can imagine that was painful. 
Absolutely. But so. it's, you know, hopefully we'll see him this weekend. Yeah, and I, I, everybody listening, I don't want to make it sound like I was some tough guy knocking it back in again. The way it was hanging in and out was was unique, and I didn't get it fixed till much later in life. So, uh, pitching wise, I know, like like you said, you brought up Connor Cook. Um, what what? And I listening to you during the game, it sounded like that his changeup was he was not getting it to. Yeah, I, I Matt talked about that last night too, um, and and when he said it. It reminded me, yes, I, I, I watched Connor do that and that Brad had uh, commented on it. The balls weren't rubbed up properly before the game. I noticed that a lot. And 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 you saw, you know, the, taking the ball, wiping it on the pants leg, taking the ball and, and, and rubbing it up. They had, um, and, and I think what happened as a result is he couldn't control the changeup. Um, and we have seen games this year. Where, where he struggled with that particular pitch. Now, you know, you had a, a walk, a hit batsman, a critical error, um, you know, and, and they wind up getting four, only one of them earned, but it's still four. And, you know, he was able to settle down a little bit after that, but, um, you know, you, you just got off to a terrible start. But, but I think the, the baseballs uh, had something to do with this because otherwise, I've never seen players do as much trying to do something with the baseball as as Cook and Osborne did. I noticed that as well. Uh, even before Brad had mentioned it, I felt like he was just, I mean, he would turn and he was just rubbing that ball in the dirt. And uh, it was one of those things that I, I think we forget about. It was about three years ago, I think maybe four years ago, that the baseball changed where they lowered the seams. Right. So, again, that's a little less, uh, little less for them to grip on. So... Uh, I like the fact that they lowered the seams. It's closer to the major league level uh, for the guys moving forward. So, um, so where do you think? Uh, I, I, who, who do you think came clutch? I, I, to me, it, it was Bobby Lede, it was C.J. Willis, the guys like that. Uh, again, uh, your thoughts on, on on the hitters? Well, okay. Here's my question to you: In conference games only, who leads the team in hitting? Here's uh, your answer: Jonathan Brandon. Oh, I did hear you. I think you said that either on the radio show or the broadcast. I don't remember. And, and so, you know, he had the biggest hit of the game. Um, and, and that was the, uh, the fake bunt slash line drive yep. down the right field line, which scored the what proved to be the winning run right after Lede's hit. Now, you know, we, we have been so conditioned about how certain coaches play the game of baseball. So you had runners at first and second, nobody out. Bobby Lede is up. He leads the team in sacrifices with seven. You're down a run. Well, let's see. Are you going to go ahead and bunt the runners over so that way a base hit scores two and you take the lead? No, you're going to let him hit away and he's going to get a base hit up the middle. Um, and I asked, I asked Matt about that because, you know, for 25 years, Bobby Lede would have been bunting. Yep. And and he said that part of that, he said the decision was twofold. He says, first of all, I don't like to bunt to tie. I, I found that interesting when he said that. And, and and I guess as non-coaches, at least for me, I don't think about that situation. 
like that. But he also brought up the fact that Drake was out of the game. And so it was where you were with the lineup. You were the number eight hitter in Lede, and then you had Brandon and then Hagedorn at the top of the order. And he said that that played a part in the decision to let uh, Lede swing away as well. Okay. The other interesting part I, I found uh, interesting was uh, when you asked him about the, the emergency catcher mm -hmm. with C.J. Willis. And I know, you know, going back, and I, I those things that we don't think about, but I know for, for so many years with, with, with Strentz and even Thurman, we really didn't have a backup to the backup. It was it was uh, Joe Robbins or uh, uh, Powell, Evan Powell, which both accomplished catchers in the past, but had played different positions in college. I, um, you know, we talked about it when we got deep in extra innings on Friday because he had used Hagedorn and he had used um, Julian Brock. And we speculated then who the emergency catcher might be. And, and Brad was the one who said C.J. Willis. And, and, and Matt went ahead and confirmed that. But what I wanted to know is, since he had used everybody and since he had put Connor Cook in left field, if the catcher goes down then and Willis has to come in and catch, Who's the other pitcher who's going to play the outfield? Well, did well, he? Well, we, uh, and so, you know, it, we may never know the answer to that. I hope we never find I out. I hope we never find out. But, you know, that reminds me, and we may have, I think we talked about this in a previous uh, podcast, reminds me of the first round of the conference tournament in 2007. You're playing South Alabama. It's the 11th inning, and you've used everybody. And not only that, but you've lost the DH. And so the pitcher's spot came up, and, and Tony pinch hit J John Zorich, another pitcher, for the pitcher. But Zorich had played the outfield during fall ball. Okay. And on the very first pitch, he got plunked with the bases loaded and the game ended. But wow. we were about to see if the pitcher could drive in the run. While we're on that subject, of, uh, sort of the subject, but... Um Correct me if I'm wrong here. Did I hear Coach Dex says there's a 32-man roster for conference play? Correct. And I think in previous years it was 27? 27, yes. So that's even more that you've got, that you used that many players and got down to that. To me, that's, what would you have done on a 27-man roster? Well, you would have had two fewer pitchers at least, all right? And we threw 13 pitchers in that three-game series. Now, on a 27-man roster, you're probably carrying only 11. And not everybody who was on the roster threw. There are a couple of people who didn't. So he, he probably had 15 pitchers. Do you, and this is a philosophical question, and it, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer, but do you think it's right to play all the season with so many players and then go to conference play and cut down on the number of players you have? Well, you know, you're, you're allowed 35-plus in this case, the, the, the number of extra scholarship yep. because of the COVID situation. So, look, the, the reality of the situation is this. It's always been this way. You know, you had a 35-man roster in the past, and you had 27 for conference play. You had to leave eight people at home. But you carried 35 in case of injuries, and you got a chance to play some of these guys in non-conference games and get them a little bit of seasoning and try to improve them a little bit. It is what it is. 
and I know that's why a lot of times that we didn't understand it, but uh, Coach Robe used to send people over to junior college to get that playing time because he felt like it was more important for them to get at-bats or pitching innings than, than sit on the bench. Okay, the game tonight against UNO has been canceled. Right. I'm looking at their, uh, at their roster and their stats and stuff. Do you remember when Hayden Herb committed to West Virginia? Yeah. He's pitching for UNO. I think he was a grad transfer when he got that extra year that okay. he decided to come uh, to UNO. I, I had no idea he was there, and then I saw his name in the thing, and I went, whoa, look at this. I just happened to see, because I was still following him on Twitter, and I happened to see about a month ago or sometime in the, the last month, I saw a tweet from him and noticed that he was at UNO. Okay, so. I, didn't, I didn't know that till last night when I looked at the thing. You know, I, I love how some people say, well, look at this guy. He went over here and did well, and look at this guy. He did went over here. Well, we don't see, you know, what about the Spencer Aringetti that started at TCU and is, is over here doing well? We don't see it. It's like I, I used to use the uh, – I used to complain about how many former Saints were on other rosters and making a difference. And my friend pointed out, he goes, you don't see it because all you see is Saints. And, well, when I moved to Indiana – and followed the Colts. All of a sudden, I saw it with the Colts. I'm like, oh, well, maybe somebody's right about that, you know? <laughs> so, let's... Uh, you know, I let me say this about yeah. UTA, okay? They've got a veteran team, okay, that from two years ago, the only two positions where they didn't have a veteran was second base and catcher, okay? The, the, the first baseman, Dylan Paul, has been there forever. Minharis, the shortstop has been starting since he was a freshman. Um, Boone Montgomery, the third baseman, veteran player. You had Philip Childs, veteran player. Obi, the center fielder, two years ago was the best hitter in the league. And then you had Andrew Miller and Wright. I mean, those are all guys whose names you recognize. And so it was very much a veteran team. Tavera is everything that's advertised. He's really, really good. The lefty that was behind him was good. The guy in game three struggled. They had two guys in the bullpen, and that's the issue for UTA. Two guys in the bullpen who are pretty good, and after that, they're very much hit or miss. And the fact that we played 15 innings in game one hurt UTA a whole lot more than it hurt the Cajuns because the only player, the only pitcher that Matt used twice was Tally. Yeah. Uh, great benefit, and I think that that's the one thing that no matter whether it's been Coach Robe or Coach Deggs uh, that we've seen that uh, pitching depth is helpless. And we, when we haven't had pitching depth, we struggled as well. Well, how many, how many to times did you hear Tony say, we got to get rid of the starter? Yep. And, and I think that's very much the case with UTA. If you get rid of the starter, they got two arms, and King I like better than Wong, but King um, – very deceptive delivery reminded me a lot of Dylan Moore, and uh, and hid the ball. You didn't see it till it was on top of you, and he had good stuff. But after those two guys, they were very hit and miss in the bullpen, and I think that there are quite a few teams in the league that have that issue. It's it's an issue the Cajuns don't have. They've got plenty of quality depth in the bullpen, which is something that in the tournament may may prove to be a big benefit to them. And is is the roster? I'm assuming it's going to be a 32 man roster for the tournament, also. Uh, as far as I know, yeah. Okay, and that's for the whole tournament. So when you set that 32 man roster for the for the weekend series, it's the whole weekend. You don't have it's not 32 each game. Correct. Okay. 
just want to clarify that. Let's move on to Troy. Looking ahead, I'm, I'm not sure how. I know you probably haven't done a whole lot of uh, looking at them, but at the same time, you look at the games across the Sun Belt and you see what's going on. Well, you also look at their at their lineup, and again, they've got a lot of recognizable names. They had four first-team All-Conference preseason players. I mean, this is a team that was supposed to be like right in the mix, and they are because they won eight in a row, lost to Arkansas State on Sunday to snap the streak. But they're sitting there tied for second place in the East with Georgia Southern entering the final weekend. But again. And they swept Georgia Southern? Uh, they, um, Troy beat Georgia Southern two out of three. Okay. And, and Georgia Southern beat South Alabama two out of three. They're, um, the names, Bartolero, Sinkfield, Mosley, Frederick, Cerny, these are all names you recognize, yeah. okay? And they're, and they're all having good years. Mosley, uh, his batting average is down about, I don't know, he's hitting right at 300 and he's like a, a 360 guy. But that's a very dangerous lineup. And that is their bread and butter. They are their tough outs one through nine. And their pitching staff has been okay. You know, Garrett Gaines has been there, has became their Friday night guy, and he's given them a chance to win every time. Um, Ortiz on, uh, in game two has pretty much given them a chance to win. Bay Witcher was a guy who started in the bullpen, and now he's their third game starter. He's been kind of up and down. Um, they've got a couple of guys in, their, in, in the bullpen that are, that, are, that are pretty good. But they don't have a Carlos Tavera or a Tyler Tuthill, or a Hayden Arnold, or a Spencer Arigetti. They don't have one of those. Um, but we've also seen where the Cajun bats have kind of fallen asleep, and you don't need a Spencer Arigetti some time to shut them down. But at the same time, I think if you look over not just this past weekend, but the last five weeks, I think the Cajun bats have come alive. Uh, it, it, they've been better. You know, they still, they've been a little bit better with runners in scoring position, still not what they need to be. They still hit too many lazy fly balls. They still foul off too many fastballs. Still um, striking out a little too much for my foot. Well, but their strikeouts are down. Yes. Okay? Their strikeouts are down from what they were earlier in the year. Um, but they, I think the biggest frustration now for Matt Deggs is they're getting pitches that they should drive that they're fouling off, fastballs especially, and that's something that's got to get better. Uh, but, no, I think, you know, I think this is going to be a tough series. Uh, I think that it's an advantage playing at home because it neutralizes Troy's power a little bit, especially from the left side, because they don't, you know, they don't have the short porch yep. at Tigmore Field. And, um, you know, and this is something that Matt brought up that, and I don't know enough about stuff to totally understand this, but he said that the spin rate for his pitchers, they're the type of pitchers that pitch better against good hitting teams. And so, and Tony used to say, I'd rather play a good hitting team than a good pitching team any, any day of the week. We'll see how that all works out. But, uh, you know, I think Troy's got a nice club. They've got a lot of veterans. Um, and they're Troy. I mean, they've got, they've got some history. They've got some tradition. And, and that, that will be a tough series this weekend. And it's really, really simple. you got to win one more than UTA and the same amount as Little Rock. 
And if you do that, you're celebrating a Western Division Championship Saturday night. Who is uh, the coach for Troy? I should know this. Mark Smart. Mark Smart. Uh, did he play there? Well, his son did. Yeah, He was the catcher, catcher. there for, for a few years. You know, Mark was an assistant under Bobby Pierce okay, for so a he... very long time and then got promoted when Pierce decided to retire. I don't remember where okay. where Smart played, but, but he's been at Troy better part of 30 years i think he's i think he's building a nice program there and, and continuing on a tradition i guess i should he, say well, he inherited a really nice yeah. program um, so i liked bobby pierce a lot yeah. really respected the guy um he was a, he was very easy to talk to and that was back in the days when i used to interview the opposing coach before the game and you know after that first meeting you know he He'd walk across just to say hello. I mean, he's just a really, really nice guy. But Tony loved playing against him and vice versa. They had a lot of affection and, and respect for each other. And I asked Bobby about it, and he said it's it's because both coaches want to play the game the right way. And and that's what it boiled down to. I agree. I agree. Uh, so our, our friends from Troy, Gunnar Weststone and his fa family, will be coming into town. And uh, – I told uh, Chris Russo, I said, I will not stop by Santa's trailer uh, RV on Thursday night because I have to work on Friday morning. I have no intention of staying there with those fools all night long. <laughs> I will on Friday night, though, however. Yeah, Friday seems to be the night that we're all going to uh, congregate and have a good time. As a matter of fact, I'm not even parking near Santa's RV, so I don't get roped into that thing. <laughs> because as people know, I have no willpower, especially if they've got a bottle of bourbon open up there. Uh, that, that's very, very true. Now, and, and, you know... The, the story of the Whetstone family and the and their relationship to the Cajuns, I think, is great. I mean, it's a great story. 2015, when the tournament was played out in Troy, uh, Cajun fans were sitting past the left field wall in what's called Doubles Alley. And uh, and Gunnar Whetstone is the, the mayor of Double uh, Doubles Alley, made great friends, lived close to the ballpark, would actually take his golf cart to the ballpark, cook out there uh, every game, and made such good friends that when his son Hunt was born, it was um, Chris and Chris and Tamil Powell are the godparents. Are the godparents? That's Evan Powell's uh, Evan parents. Powell's parents. That, so so that's that is an amazing story to yeah. me. Yeah, uh, that was the year the Cajuns won the uh, tournament in Troy, and then then we went to Houston for the regional and won that, and then when we ended up in Baton Rouge, Gunner Gunner drove over and came and and. Uh, and, and stayed out with us and had a good time. So good family there. Uh, before we move on, uh, we'll talk about the tournament another time because there's just so many scenarios and everybody's bunched up. I mean, we could talk about every possible scenario, but it's it, 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 take care of your business. Well, I, I, I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. In order to finish first, the Cajuns have to win one more game than UTA and the same amount of games as Little Rock. If they do that, they'll be the number one seed. And I think they have a both uh, good chance of both of them with uh, with UTA going to Georgia Southern. Uh, hopefully, that was a wake up call at Eon for Georgia Southern. Uh, and, and Little Rock has to go to Georgia State, who just went on the road and swept Texas State. So they both have very difficult series this weekend. I'm not going to say Georgia State is a team to watch, but I think they're a very dangerous team. And maybe the, all that preseason or pre conference games that they played is finally paying off for them. maybe so you know and and you know when i look at the east 
You know, Georgia Southern hasn't pitched as well as they can for the last couple of weeks, and they've, they've maybe lost a game or two that they shouldn't have. South Alabama has lost Jeremy Lee, their Friday night guy for the season. Um, and we just talked about Troy. Georgia State is a team that on any given day can, can jump up and bite you. And Appalachian State, over the weekend, went to Little Rock and gave up four runs in three games. Now they have a guy, their number one guy, is a guy you don't want to see. Tyler Tuthill's a left, soft throwing lefty, and he's cutting everybody up. And so, you know, depending on where you finish, either Georgia State or App State is going to finish in that four slot. So if you're the number one seed, you're going to play one of those. Yep. And I don't think either one of them are going to be easy. No, I agree with you. And then you and then digging just a little deeper, ULM goes to TCU and takes two out of three. Almost has a no hitter. They eight and two thirds innings of no hit ball in game one. Yeah, that's crazy. It, it's uh, uh, but it's baseball. And then and then you go down a little bit more, not down necessarily, but Coastal Carolina goes to South Alabama and takes two out of three. They, they well, they won Friday. That oh, was that, that was the one game. Okay, but the other games game. were close. The, oh no, the games were close. I think they were they were three to one and four to one or something like that. They were very low scoring games and uh, and very very tight. You know, I, Coastal Carolina is probably going to finish last in the East. You want to play them? No. Yeah, you know, I mean, is we can sit there and when we when we do the the, the tournament podcast, we can sit there. And talk about how worried you are about the two teams that are in your pod. Because honestly, there are no pushovers. No. There really aren't. Um, you know, Arkansas State's pitching better. They've been able to hit all year. ULM's really picked up their offense. And, and you know, Texas State took a series from the Cajuns. And then, you know, and then you got Little Rock and UTA. And then on the other side, we've already mentioned all six teams. And they're all pretty good. Well, you, you, if, if it ended today, and I'll say thank God it doesn't because uh, it's Georgia Southern and Texas State in the pod with us, but at the same time, we're the number two seed there, have a little bit of an advantage. But just as we pointed out, I don't think uh, – parity has something to do with it, and I think the teams, uh, they're all playing good ball at the end of the season like they well, should. mediocrity has a lot to do with it. Yes. This is a very mediocre league. I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and sugarcoat anything. No. I, I think that this is, there is a lot of parity, okay? But I don't think that any team in our league is what I'd call a really, really good team. To wit, last week, they came out, uh, D1 Baseball came out with their projections. And of course, South Alabama has the best record. So they had South Alabama as the Sunbelt representative. They had them as a four seed. Yeah. And that's never happened before, where, where you've got the Sun Belt has one team and it's a four seed. Never happened. All right, we're going to take one more quick break, and we're going to come back and finish this up. You're listening to We're Talking with Craig Malasa and Jay Walker. Welcome back to We're Talking with Craig Malasa and Jay Walker today. Jay, uh, first of all, let's talk about uh, the guy that everybody knows and loves here in Cajun land, uh, Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, signing a, a deal with the Braves right now is down in uh, the minor leagues uh, just to get some warm up, and it drives me nuts. I don't know how Major League Baseball can have so much money and then not 
have their stats updated regularly and more information about teams and players in the minor leagues. I understand there's a bunch of guys, a bunch of teams, but you've got all that damn money. Spend some of it. He's a triple A Gwinnett. Yep. Um, you know, and it's funny because I was planning on seeing him over the weekend because he lives in the Dallas area. He was planning to come to the games and then we're on the way, we're on our way to Dallas, and it says Luke Corey signs with the Braves. I said, Well, I guess we're not going to see him this weekend. In fact, I had just finished texting his mom and saying, Looking forward to seeing John this weekend. And then I, that, that popped up that he had signed with the, uh, the, the, with the Braves. Well, very happy for him that he's getting another opportunity. This can go a long way if he can, if he can play well. Uh, he showed it earlier in the year, where, I mean, although it was a very short stint with the Nationals. He played well, nice batting average and everything. Hopefully he, he stays healthy and uh, all of his, uh, his aches and pains have gone with the surgery over the... Speaking of the, uh, speaking of the Braves, okay, I'm watching the Braves and Mets last night. And it's a nothing-nothing game going into the seventh. And the Braves have one hit, and it's by their pitcher. He's got the only hit of the game. And, uh, and he, he gives, gives up a leadoff hit in the seventh, and then they have to take him out. Something, something's wrong, so they have to take him out, bring a guy in. He gives up a base hit. It's one to nothing. And they, the Mets wind up loading the bases with two outs. And, um, and he's got two strikes on the hitter, who was Pilar. And then the next pitch is a fastball, gets him right in the face. I was thankful I was not watching the game at that time because the, the replay I saw this morning, at least they, they, they cut it blurred off. it all yeah. out. It, it was no. It it happened. He went down on his hands and knees, and 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 yeah, blood was just pouring onto the. Yeah. But he walked off the field under his own power, which was good news. And he tweeted out afterwards from uh, uh, after he left the hospital that he was doing okay and that he would be back. So and uh, and and but just the look on the pitcher's face, oh. it was like, oh my god. Uh, I don't remember. And they wound up having to take him out too. I don't remember which player it was. I think it was an infielder, but I, I don't know the Braves because the Braves suck and I hate them, Brad. But uh, the one of the players, the infielders, had his hands over his head with his glove, and he. I mean, the look on their faces. I I, I don't care how much you like or dislike a team. No one ever wants no. another player to get hit like that. No, but I happened to be watching it when it happened last night, and then. I switched over and watched a few innings of the D-backs and Dodgers, and Dodgers won. That was a good thing. Well, my Reds got stomped again, Yeah, I, I need you to jump up and beat the Giants for me. Oh. Well, that's one of the great things about following a team that is in the Eastern time zone. Their games start at 540 here, so I'm done by, by 9 o'clock. I'm usually I'm, yeah, I'm I'm good. Starting, I'm starting at 9 o'clock. Well, but at, at your age and, and retirement and everything, well, I mean, you have, you don't have to get up early, but at the same time, it, it must be hard staying up late for you. It is. It is. So, I, uh, it's hard I, for I, me I, staying I went, up late. I, I went into my bedroom and, and turned the, the game on in there. And, uh, yeah, about 10 minutes later, I was asleep. I woke up at about 2 o'clock and TV was still on. And... Well, nothing wrong with that. Um. Uh, you know, and the other thing I can't find, I mean, it just shows uh, on the minor, back to my rant on the minor leagues, and, and I'm going to do one more rant uh, on, on on NCAA stuff. But um, the 
it shows, uh, I mean, I know from talking to Robert Harris about Hogan Harris and what his situation is, he's, he's, he's an extended spring, spring training. Uh, um, well, he's, he's out in the, with the, uh, the Oakland team out in, uh, in Arizona. So not playing right now, had surgery, uh, but Hogan's doing well, but, but Nick Lee and Colton Schmidt, they just show, uh, affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays, affiliate of the Rockies. They don't, okay. You know, what's going on with them? Talk to me. And then you look at their most recent assignments down at the bottom. And it's like, uh, 2019 assigned to the, the, the Portland hog heads or something, you know, oh, quit bitching. Uh, but, uh, Todd lot, uh, doing well, batting uh, 278 right now for the Palm Beach Cardinals. Uh, uh, and um, Stephen Sendley is up with the Hudson Valley Renegades, New York Yankees affiliate, uh, high A, is batting 258 and doing well. And then, uh, then uh, Hayden Cantrell started out very fast with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. So that's the only guys I've been able to find. Jordan Harrison is another four, former Cajun that still shows active in the Braves organization, but has not been assigned to a team. So, found out the uh, the answer to a trivia question because it was being talked about when um, when Brandon Talley um, had a home run in Game One of the doubleheader, got the save in Game Two is when was the last time a pitcher had a, a home run and a save or a home run and a win in the same season for the Cajuns. And it actually happened twice with Seth Harrison and Ryan Wilson. Interesting. I know, I know, uh, Tim, uh, the baseball, I, I know it's not SID, but I'm gonna say SID, uh, had tweeted that out. So, uh, Tim is on top of things, so Tim's done a great job. He'll be he'll be wrapping things up, you know, with baseball. He'll be he'll be moving on. Um, Willie, yeah, I was but, wondering uh, about that, but I thought he did. I thought he did a solid job in the two years he was here, and I appreciate Tim very much. Yeah, we're gonna have to get Tim on and say thank you. I know Connor Whelan, who also was uh, marketing director of marketing or associate AD for marketing, uh, is moving on. Also, uh, so congratulations to him. He's headed to Wake Forest. Where's Tim going, or do we wait and have Tim talk about? It? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, but um, but yeah, but 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 we do know that he'll be wrapping up when the Cajuns wrap up. He's wrapped up. Uh, very disappointed in that uh, uh, because he's a baseball guy mainly. I mean, he understands baseball and he knows what it means to the Cajuns. Oh, here. Tim worked his tail off. I appreciated him very yes. much. So uh, last rant, I'll go on and I'll give you. I'll let you give give your thoughts afterwards. And 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 in softball, I don't think it made a big difference, but it absolutely. I hate the idea of. Well, you were the home in a conference tournament. You were the home team last time, so this team gets to be the home team. To me, you you won the higher seed. You deserve to be the home team. I don't think it's a big enough deal to get all worked up about, but I do agree with you. And that's that's kind of my point, but at the same time, I know when we played, when I was playing softball back 20 years ago, uh, the guys I missed one of the coin flips to see who was going to be the home team. Yeah, it it doesn't bother me as much during the tournament itself, but in the championship game, yeah, you should be the home team if you're the higher seed. 
Well, the guys came back to me in the softball. I missed I missed one of the coin flips after playing five day, games over uh, a day and a half. And they said, uh, we finally won the coin flip. I said, what do you mean, finally won? I said, I won every coin flip. And they go, well, how come we bat it first? I said, because I like to go out and punch people in the face first, get your runs, and then let everybody else wonder what they're going to do to you after that. And then they gang ganged up on you and beat you yeah. up. No, and we, that was the game we lost. And they said, all right, we're going back to your method. So, Okay. Well, that's it for tonight. Uh, thank you, Jay. Uh, ja Josh, I hope your uh, things are going well for you. We look forward to having you back uh, as soon as possible. Safe travels, and uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. For Word Talking, I'm Craig Malawsaw, and thanks again to Jay Walker. Thanks, man. We'll do it soon. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except... Ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.